Hi there, welcome to the journalism.co.uk podcast. I'm George Sharp. This week I'm going to be talking to Amber Hunt. She was originally a print journalist, but she's going to be telling us about her new podcast, uh, Aftermath, which looks at how people deal with the fallout of being shot. So often when you hear someone's been stabbed or shot in the news, that's the end of the story. But Aftermath is an eight-episode series, which is trying to show that actually for one person, uh, the person who has been shot, uh, it's just the beginning. It's a great interview, and Amber tells us a little bit about why podcasts are so good for this kind of long-form storytelling, as well as how she approached her interviewees, most of whom have PTSD. So stay tuned to hear the interview. Helly felt her left arm start to burn. She called out to Carmen, who saw blood gushing from her friend's shoulder, ripped off her T-shirt and held it tight against the wound. People around them started to run, so Carmen threw herself on top of her friend to protect her from trampling feet. Then she felt a bullet. Tell me uh, about a little bit about Aftermath. What what is it? Aftermath is this project that I've had an idea for since I worked in Detroit, um, and I left there in 2010, so it's been uh, percolating quite a while. But I covered crime in Detroit, and I would go to these scenes, and if, if you know we'd hear hey there's a shooting and we'd run out and if nobody died then you basically knew okay well it's just a brief it's not a full story um but after you've interviewed a couple of people who have survived you realize geez you know that that's just the beginning of their story like their entire lives change Mm. so i was trying to figure out for a long time how to delve into that um and after i did the podcast accused it kind of clicked that okay, podcast is the way to tell these stories. Mm. What? Why? Well, because first off, there's a beginning and an end. Like when I was envisioning um, covering it at the beginning, it was more like a an online sort of newsletter or, or you know a website dedicated to it, and um, that's pretty heavy, you know, to to constantly ask people to come back and read this other terrible heartbreaking story but with with aftermath i was able to um to sift through a bunch of different stories and try and tell a variety so that even it's by no means all encompassing but it does hit a lot of different notes so that you you're you can feel like you can walk away from you know the eight episodes and have some sense of okay domestic violence uh is this kind of issue and mass shooting and um, school shootings and you know it's it's um, it allowed me to kind of pick and choose to to give a sense of the scope without it just being constant barrage of depression and the, and the idea is sort of you know that there's a lot that is the same among the different survivors and at the same time every story is completely unique Um, so i I hope that that comes across in in the project so for me what i love about podcasts is that you get to really zero in on a, a topic and and try to shed light on that because if i you know these interviews for aftermath are five six seven hours long uh, and then, and that's just the main interview. You've also got, you know, family members and experts and all this stuff. If I just dumped that out there, none of it would make any sense. So 
having the ability to edit and, and properly tell the story, I think is valuable. Well, so, gosh, that's so, so seven hours for, for one interview. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's why I'm saying it was <laughs> grueling. I don't, oh, and, first and, off, I feel a little guilty. It's like, you know, I'm just yeah. parachuting into these terrible stories. I get to walk away. They don't get to walk away. But what we asked of them is, okay, I'm going to fly to your town. Uh, there's going to be a photographer and audio guy there. There's going to be another reporter from The Trace, which was our reporting partner. So three of us are going to come in and invade your life, and we're going to ask you all of these horrible details, and, um, and we're going to take up your whole day. Mm. <laughs> and these gracious people... Uh, let us do it. And actually, strangely, it was um, it was a lot more uh, like I don't want to say fun, but it was cathartic. And uh, and I really liked the people. So it it mm. wasn't it wasn't a drag by any means to do it. Um, but it, it was a heavy lift. Sure. I mean, let's let's talk a little bit about about interviewing them then, because I mean, <laughs> Let's talk about the first episode. You're interviewing someone who has PTSD. So surely you've got to be extremely careful when you're asking her to relive some of that. We were careful. We, uh, we took breaks. Um, and there was a lot of, you know, okay, are you comfortable with this? Um, but the nice thing, the thing that Elizabeth Van Brocklin, the reporter from The Trace, did so well was that she kind of did the, the um, pre-interviews so that she made sure that we were talking sure. to somebody who was ready to talk. Uh, because not everybody is. And in fact, the, there is one story in particular in Detroit that sparked this whole idea. A, a guy I had interviewed who'd been shot seven times. And when I reached out to him to, to ask him if he wanted to take part in this, he said, uh, that's not part of my life anymore. And that was really amazing to me because of course it's part of his life but for whatever reason he's not in a place right now to talk about it so I did not want to push people who weren't ready my goal is not to re-traumatize mm -hmm. so we were very careful um her name was Clay in the first episode um she she's very raw and you can tell just by hearing her voice that a lot of stuff is right at the surface I knew it I yeah. knew it then it wasn't okay Right. Yeah. This is not um, but she's also incredibly strong right? and and, so um, and handled our questions really well. say that you know at that time period X, Y, or Z, and this is why. And I do believe that people were terrified of my stepfather, and that was part of the reason. How do you find you know people survivors of, of gunshots? Well, that was exactly what I wanted the Trace's help with because I had reached out to this guy who had the seven bullet wounds and realized, oh, if I push him, you know, he's, he's not ready. I don't want to convince him. Um, I need to find people who are genuinely ready to talk. Uh, and the Trace um, is a New York-based nonprofit newsroom that, f that is entirely focused on gun violence. It's new. Um, it probably would have been, you know, something that I would have applied for, you know, 10 years ago because yeah. 
that that's what I did in Detroit. But so what they have done is um, they have actually uh, questionnaires out that go out to uh, gunshot victims, and they they are gathering data so people answer questions and tell them about their experiences and all of this stuff. And as part of that, there's a checkbox. Are you comfortable talking to media? So I reached out to them because of that, although it ends up that we didn't use the questionnaires. Elizabeth, the partner I worked with, she found, uh, I, would, I think it's six of the eight, uh, just through her networks, because that's what oh, wow. she does wow. entirely. You know. So she helped find the people, and then she sort of pre-interviewed, and, and you know, I said, okay, you know, I'm looking at this point for somebody who's involved in urban violence, and so she would find some possibilities, and then we would talk it through and reach out to these people and get a sense for who was, you know, the most ready and the most, um, the most uh, audio-friendly person to talk to, and then we would move forward from there. Uh, my Detroit experience taught me uh, to really give people a lot of room to say no. Um, as a reporter, when I'm interviewing a mayor or a police chief, I am aggressive as hell. I think that those people owe the public answers. I do not think that somebody who happens to have been a victim of a crime owes me anything. And in fact, I'm usually uh, amazed when somebody is willing to talk. So what I do is um, I approach uh, very sensitively and I try to speak very honestly so that they can, people can tell if you're full of crap. So if you are putting it on and just, you know, dropping in to try and convince them to talk, they will sense that. So I say from the beginning, you know, I'm, I'm looking to tell these kinds of stories. It's totally okay if you're not in a place to do that. But I, you know, I read about you in, in the newspaper. I saw another interview with you. And, um, and I feel like there's, there's more of your story that I'd like to tell uh, if you're comfortable. And they usually, you know, aren't at first. They need to do a little research. Several of them listened to my other podcast before they gave me an answer. Um, but I just gave a lot of space uh, because they, they don't owe me this. Sure. Sure. So, okay. Once you've you've done your you've found your interviewee, yeah, you've got you've been down with your uh, the three of you, done the seven hour interview. Um, what happens after that? Well, uh, I sleep. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it it's actually it, when when I drove away from all but maybe two of the interviews, I was in some town that I usually don't visit, maybe have never visited, and, for, and I felt very heavy. And um, so I would blast Hamilton in the rental car and just cry. <laughs> so <laughs> that's kind of the first thing I did is just fall. Mm. Um, and then after, uh, I kind of have to set it aside for a little bit so that this is sort of the staring at, at the wall part where I need it to, to just... I need to step away from it so that I can um, try and figure out what the lead is, what's, what are the underlying issues that I can hit on in this story. Sure. So like for episode one, a big issue was trust. Um, episode two was about friendship. Um, three was about 
location that's the episode based in Detroit where, sure. you know, where they sounded almost um, resigned that that was their environment. And I think people who don't live in that kind of environment have a hard time understanding mm. how you could reach that point. But I've lived there before and I know, you know, I, I had a baby version of, of that life yeah. because I was, you know, I, I knew I could move away. But so when people don't feel like they can move away, then that just changes stuff. So you hadn't actually decided what each episode was going to be about before the interview? No, I make a point not to do that. Sure. Because um, I, I know, know generally, you know, I know that there's a theme of domestic violence or urban, mm. but I make a point, I actually don't do pre-interviews myself because I want our interaction to be um, honest and I want, I want them to tell me what the story actually is they they don't know you know they're not being specific about it but mm. through their tale it'll it'll come to me like what the underlying yeah issue R- is that i'm trying to investigate yeah whereas like some podcasts i i, I can't think of any at the moment but you know they, they might say we're going to do a story about this um right you know and then they will go and find someone who has a story that is do you know what i mean right yeah no i didn't do that because i don't I don't think it's, for me, um, I, I don't have an idea of what's, what message I'm trying to get across before I report it. I don't mm. consider that journalism. Mm. If, you, if you're going at it with a, a, an agenda in mind beyond I want to tell this story, then I worry a little bit that um, you know, you're, you're putting on blinders to the whole truth. Yeah. So, and that's why actually number, the one I mentioned that was also hard to write, today's episode, um, the reason it was kind of hard to write is because he, the victim in that story, the survivor, acted in a, in a way and answered questions in a way that was so different from the other ones. He was jokey, he, he used a lot of um, life sayings, you know, he's a lot of platitudes, mm. and um, and part of that, I realize, is a defense mechanism. That's how I feel. I fell in like super slow motion. It took me like three and a half minutes to fall. And I did it so cool, like so nonchalant. <laughs> like they, the person I was on the phone with, they couldn't even believe I fell. Like, man, I think I'm about to fall. Man, I'm about to fall. Man, I'm falling. <laughs> I didn't fail, man. Like, man, where you at now? I'm on the ground. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> on the ground. You, you tell stories well. <laughs> no, nah, that's facts, man. I could have said, like, oh, you know, he's, he laughs too much for somebody who's been through what he's been through. Maybe I shouldn't, maybe I should find somebody who feels, you know, heavier than that. But I was like, no, because that's his story and he, this is valid. And he represents people who react to his trauma the way he's reacted to so so it's on me to to tell that story and if it's challenging that's fine yeah well thank you so much for talking to me amber oh thank you it's been great appreciate it so thanks to amber there for a really good interview Uh, you can find out more about the aftermath podcast on wondery.com forward slash those forward slash aftermath that's wondery w-o-n-d-e-r-y dot com slash shows slash aftermath and of course you can find it on whichever podcast app you use 
Now, if you missed any news from journalism.co.uk this week, then worry not. Here's Caroline with the weekly roundup. And if you enjoyed this, then you can find all our podcasts on journalism.co.uk or wherever you usually get your shows. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Caroline Scott with your weekly journalism news update. The latest research from Ofcom has shown a lack of diversity within UK radio. The report found almost twice as many men are in senior management roles than women, while commercial radio stations have the lowest percentage of employees from an ethnic minority background and only 5% of jobs go to someone with a disability. Spade and Bourdain suicides have sparked discussion on reporting mental illness responsibly. Both the Daily Mail UK and the New York Times were criticised for breaking the guidelines of the Independent Press Standards Organisation. It states reporters should avoid excessive detail of the method used. Open source platform Poet is working on building new tools to re-empower freedom of the press using blockchain, the company, which launched in 2017, has integrated with WordPress, Medium and Drupal, enabling content creators to show persistent value and build reputation. In this week's podcast, we spoke to Olia Fedden, one half of the Scootercaster duo of stringers who shoot breaking news in New York. The reporter told us how she gets scoops faster than her competition, while staying safe on the busy streets of the Big Apple. And finally, the European Data and Computational Journalism Conference took place this week in Cardiff. The BBC's Peter Sherlock explained the Shared Data Unit project is able to boost regional news outlets by giving journalists the freedom to collaborate on long-form, off-diary data investigations. That's everything from us. We'll see you next week.